For decades, the history of the DC Universe has been marked by its crisis-level events, status quo-altering storylines that have rewritten continuity while also providing a meta-commentary on DC Comics publishing itself, and all under a signature red glow. This is Red Skies, a 13-part podcast epic mining these events and the Superman of it all. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Red Skies Chapter 4, and joining me in studio to discuss Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales, returning guest, sweet, sweet <laughs> Bernie Gersmeyer. I will tell you, it is surreal that like we're like looking directly at each other. Usually it's a look on the left side of the screen, and now it's like, hey, buddy. <laughs> this is great. You yeah. and I had met... The first time we met was in person mm-hmm. at Aya oh yeah Comics yep. Harrison yep. years ago now. Yeah. Pre-pandemic, like just was, I think my daughter was talking about getting into film and then you happened to be in the store and it was crazy. Yeah. And then I think it was you who, who sent me a friend request on Facebook. Yes. And we kept in touch that way. And then when I started up the Superman show, I reached out to you. We had an off mic chat just right. to kind of get a sense of your your Superman <laughs> fan journey. And then as the audience knows at this point, you've been on, you've been one of our most frequent <laughs> guests. But yes, always virtually, but you're you're in town on the East Coast visiting yeah. family and we were able to work this out. So yeah, we're both here in Flat Squirrel Studios. It's awesome. very exciting, very I different. It, it's I love it. It's a great studio, it's a great room. And we are here to discuss the ever-controversial identity crisis. There's a lot to unpack here. I recognize people have strong feelings about this work in both directions. Yeah. And I'm glad you're here. I know we'll have a rational, even-handed discussion about this and kind of take the work as it is Mm -hmm. and wrestle with it a little bit. Yeah. And just to kind of lay out what we've read, certainly, of course, we read the main seven-issue miniseries, Mm -hmm. 2004, 2005, Brad Meltzer, Rags Morales, Michael Baer, Alex Sinclair, Ken Lopez. I listed the whole creative team, which I rarely do, but there were so many many different components to, I think, what makes this book what it is. Mm -hmm. Additionally, we read Crisis of Conscience, which was the five-part arc in JLA by Jeff Johns, Alan Heinberg, and Chris Batista. That was the follow-up to this and somewhat of a bridge between Identity Crisis and Infinite Crisis. We also took a look all the way back into the Bronze Age at Justice League of America 166 through 168, which was the original story where the secret society of supervillains switched bodies with the Justice League, which of course is referenced in Identity Crisis and comes back into play in an even bigger way in Crisis of Conscience. So it was interesting to kind of look at all three of those stories and this larger arc that they're telling I did also take a look at some of the other tie-ins to Identity Crisis. Okay. The Secret of Barry Allen and The Flash, for example, the autopsy issue from JSA. There were also a couple of arcs in Teen Titans and Green Arrow that dealt with Dr. Light. I did not revisit those, Mm. but I did look at some of the other ones. So I'll kind of sprinkle those in here and there as we go. (laughs) So again, there's a lot to unpack in terms of why this is controversial, what it's all about in the first place, and how it fits into this event that we're doing here on the DC crisis events. But as always, I want to start on the personal front here, and I want to toss it to you and just ask, what has your relationship with this work been from when it initially came out through any subsequent readings over the years to this reread now? How has your relationship with this work evolved? I remember reading it when it came out. I bought it when it came out. I saw Brad Meltzer's name on it. I was like, oh, this is a best-selling author, something different. Picked it up, read it, was intrigued by it. It was hard. 
it was it was the first I, th- I want to say it was like the first real hard DC book that I read you know I, I read crisis it was what, what I mean by that is like it was a hard real like rough topical book for DC to write um didn't read it again until the trade came out and then haven't read it since for various reasons um which we can talk about too but i would say that i went i i left the first two reads like wow that's a pretty rough story didn't know how i felt about it kind of wrestling with really the morality of numbers of things in the book from how the heroes are dealing with it and how ralph is dealing with it and all that um but now I feel kind of it's different having two uh, teenage and adult daughters reading a book like this. Like, okay, how would how would I feel about this from a dad's point of view? I totally get that. Actually, one of the things I was going to ask you is, have your daughters read it? No. Would you? I don't want to say would you let them. They they can well, decide. Sure, yeah. But would would you would you steer them towards it? Would you steer them away from it? Would you just sort of preface it before they read it? How would you approach that? I don't, I don't think I'd recommend it. And actually, I wouldn't recommend it not because of the topic, but because of how, whether it's Meltzer or the editorial, how they represented women in the books. There's a unnecessary damsel in distress, uh, weak woman representation in this book. And even how women treat other women was also concerning to me. And that would be, I think, the biggest reason I'm not going to recommend it. If they want to read it, Belle, Belle might get, like see, like, oh, this is interesting. She might want to read it. But I'm not being like, hey, you know what you should do? No, I'm not going to. There's there's better books that represent women in D.C. right now. So I hear you. So let's not dance around it. So, again, I would imagine people listening to this are familiar with the plot, but I'll just give the, the basic yeah. overview here. So Sue Dibney, the wife of the elongated man, is murdered and other loved ones of DC heroes are targeted as well. And after Sue's funeral, a subset of the satellite-era Justice League team assemble, and they go on the hunt for Dr. Light, who they are convinced is the one responsible for Sue's death. Which you don't know why yet. You don't know why, but Wally and Kyle, the newbies, the new generation heroes, and the audience soon come to learn that years ago, Dr. Light had boarded the Justice League satellite found Sue there by herself, attacked and raped her, and was then apprehended by the Justice League, who voted not only to erase his memory of those events, but to alter his personality, to use Zatanna's abilities to, as they put it in the book, magically lobotomize him. Mm-hmm. We learn even later in the story that they, things took yet another turn when Batman interrupted them, and the League voted unanimously this time. They were split on the lobotomy, they were unanimous in deciding to erase 10 minutes from Batman's memory. And there's a lot more, and we'll reference right. other events, but those are really the broad strokes of the story. So it's a murder mystery set within the DC universe that really casts the heroes and this Bronze Age history in particular in this new light. And it's bringing to light to what kind of secrets they may or may not hold from each other. And it's not just about secret identities, it's about literal secrets and how they can damage, how they can help, how they can hurt, and really where do we as readers fall 
on the side of the secret. Yes, very much so. I asked you your experience with this. I'll share mine. So, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to bury the lead as far as where I land on this. Yeah, book. sure. I, well, I'll, I'll get to that. So, I'm not going to bury the lead, but I'll get to that. So. <laughs> I guess I will bury the lead a little bit, <laughs> but this came out when I was a senior in high school. This was mm. part of what, what I sort of refer to as my golden age as a comic book reader. Yes, I read all through the Triangle Era in the 90s, but right. that was I was only reading the Superman books at the time, and I was a little kid. That period from, again, I want to say 2000, around when Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly took over the Superman books, through Infinite Crisis, so early to mid-aughts was really the sweet spot for me because those were my high school and early college years. I was a little bit older. I was appreciating things on a little bit of a, of a more sophisticated level. I was working at my local comic shop. So I was surrounded by all of this stuff. I had more thrown around money so I could buy whatever I wanted. Uh, and I was talking to people about all of this stuff. And as much as, yes, there's a lot of nostalgia here. I mean, honestly, I feel like objectively, there were a lot of great runs that were happening at that time. Yeah. The JLA run was happening at that time, too. Yeah, the JLA stuff, the JSA revival, yep. Jeff Johns on Flash, the Green Lantern Rebirth, Gotham Central. My mm -hmm. goodness. Uh, you know, again, the Loeb Kelly stuff on the Superman books. And I know I, I rarely ever talk about Marvel, but over on the Marvel side, you had Bendis doing Ultimate Spider-Man, Spider Daredevil, Alias. Yeah. I was also getting- Ultimates. Ultimate, yep. yeah. Mark Millarston stuff, yeah. So it, for me, this was a very special time. And this book in particular, I think, hit at just the right spot for me. And yeah. I was- as a senior in high school reading this, I was I was engrossed by it. Yeah. Obviously, there are aspects of it that were unsettling, to put it mildly, to read then and remain so, mm -hmm. even more so now as as a as a married father at this point, of course. Yeah. But nevertheless, again, in terms of how it looked at this community of DC heroes and villains and really made the DC universe feel like this real lived-in world in terms of how the heroes and the villains regarded each other. Uh, that stood out to me and it just felt like this was, again, a different kind of story. And I enjoyed it again in, in that initial read. I still remember leaving school during my lunch period, the day <laughs> issue seven came out. Oh, so I went to an all boys Catholic high school, very strict. Only seniors were even allowed to leave campus. Yeah. And I remember the day it came out, I was working at the shop, but this was, you know, I was working there like after school and summers and stuff like that. I didn't have a key yet. And I remember I knocked on the door and for anyone who has listened to my other podcasts about <laughs> the owner of my old comic shop, he didn't like that, even from those of us who worked there. So, but he, he let me in and he let me buy my copy early. And I remember sitting there in the car mm. and reading that seventh issue and feeling like, oh, okay. It, it was a letdown. I remember being let down by mm. it. I had a similar experience with Hush. I did the exact same thing. I went there during my lunch period and <laughs> sat in the car and read it. <laughs> Uh, and in both instances, I've revisited both of these works over the years and, yeah. and still kind of feel the same way about the ending, feeling a little bit mm. let down as far as the ultimate resolution to the mystery. But overall, I, despite the ugly parts of it, I still looked at it as something that, that I enjoyed and that again, just took a, like, you know, to, as you said, took a harder look at these characters and yeah. what they're all about. I haven't reread it a ton over the years. I mean, I don't know, once or twice before now? It's not something... It's not something you go back to like, ooh, like, it, it, it's dark. Like, that's not that's not a topic you... Oh, like, let me go reread the series where they have a villain rape a character. That's not... It, yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't. 
Yeah, it's not it's not a light read. They're like, oh, no. I'm just gonna grab this off the shelf and I'll read it. It's no. like you really have to honestly, you really have to steal yourself for this because in the times, the few times that I have reread it, including this time, when you get to issue two and you yeah. know that flashback is coming, it's like, God damn it! And you really yeah. have to brace yourself. There's for incredible it. scenes in this series we should talk about, but when you know that that's a scene, you're like, oh, where is it? And then it's just it just it is done tastefully. I feel, but it's it's pretty clear. It's pretty rough. Yes. So, you know, over the years, that aside, and despite my disappointment with the ultimate resolution right. of who the perpetrator is, which, again, spoiler alert, but Jean Loring, the wife, ex-wife of the Adam, is revealed to be the person responsible. Despite misgivings with respect to those aspects, I still enjoyed it, like I said, for making the DC universe feel like this lived-in place. and. Yeah this pantheon of heroes really felt like a community of people who worked together. Right. And in terms of these ethical questions that the book poses, and I know people's mileage on this may vary and I want to, there's more I want to talk about and ask you with, yeah. with, with respect to that. But I thought they were valid questions to ask and mm -hmm. certainly DC got a lot of material out of it, maybe too much so. And that's something else we can talk about in terms of how this paved the road for infinite crisis. And I do feel like at a certain point, they overdid it in terms of the characterization of Dr. Light and subsequent storylines right. in terms of this overuse of the mind wipe reveal with Catwoman in particular. That's one glaring example yep. that really stands out. But again, overall, I still kind of held this up as a book that I enjoyed. And I had loved, loved, and still do, The Archer's Quest from Brad Meltzer yes. on yeah. Green Arrow. Wonderful story. In recent years, and in leading up to reading it for this recording, I've come to see it feels like, as controversial as it was at the time, it really feels like it swung, the public opinion on it has swung even more so, where, you yeah. know, when we say it's controversial, it, it really is. I mean, yeah. you, you search for it on Google, you'll find any number mm -hmm. of, of right. think pieces on it and, and, and how misogynistic it is and how much it gets wrong and this and that. And one thing that is important to me, and this is probably the law school <laughs> background, is whether or not I agree with an argument, I want to study it and I want to understand it. Sure. And that was kind of the thing going into this where I said, I don't know exactly where I'm going to land, but I want to understand what exact, what problem people have with it exactly and why. And again, it had been so long since I read it. So I was just going off of memory and I'm seeing these articles and I'm seeing these tweets and all this stuff. I'm like, all right, what's, what's really going on here? So this is the point in the proceedings where two straight white men explain the women in refrigerators argument. Yeah. But bear with us here, folks. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best and you know treat it uh, with the respect that it deserves. So yeah. I think people are aware of this term, women in refrigerators, coined by Gail Simone before she became a comic book writer yep. and derived from the scene in the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern series where Kyle's girlfriend, Alex DeWitt, is killed and stuffed in a refrigerator by the villain Major Force. Did, mind, you, did you read mind that? You, mind you, it is like two issues into Kyle being Green Lantern. Yeah, Did you, I, I read, read it. That wrong? I read it right when it came out, and it, yeah. and that just because I had to turn that page back. Like, wait, did they seriously just stuff her in it? Like, did he kill her? That was hard. That's a big deal because I don't know if anything has been done like had been done like that really in that way. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that really definitely stood out, and it it gave birth to this this term, this yeah. argument, this movement, right? And when we refer to women in refrigerators, it's the, and look, I'm going to explain it as best as I understand it. And if there's a nuance that I haven't captured, I apologize. Mm -hmm. But uh, the use or overuse of violence against women, yeah. physical violence, sexual violence, humiliation, murder, 
the vi- the use overuse of violence against women in these stories and comics, of course, it extends to as other a, as, media. A, as a glorified trope or plot point, right? As a plot point yeah. in furtherance of the male protagonist's yes. story, right? So that's the key point, and I think that's an aspect of it that I understand, I grasp more fully now after the recent reading that I've done. Um, this notion that it's it's particularly egregious when the story doesn't explore how it affects the woman in question. Right? It's only about how it moves the male character story along, right? It is the only thing I have a hard time with, with Tom Taylor's Injustice. I love that series, but spoilers, the crux of that series is what turns Superman is that he, the Joker has Superman accidentally kill his own wife. And she's pregnant with a son. So like perfect example of how like let's do this and see what happens. And it's it's used as a, a means to an end, which really frustrates me. Well, that's a perfect way of putting it as as a means to an end. I think, you know, over the years, it, this was never something that I was looking to to pick apart. I want, I want to be clear here. Yeah. But I, if there was anything I bumped up against, I guess I always I always looked at what seemed to me to be the larger problem that so many stories are just told from the perspective of a male protagonist. Right. And my, my, again, argument is too strong a word, but my feeling was always like, well, it, it just so happens that there's so much more violence towards female characters because so many more stories are told from the perspective of the men. Right. That is its own problem. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, there was an article that I read and I don't have it. I don't have the, the title or the site top of mind, but with respect to identity crisis that actually kind of illuminated this for me and I I got it in a way that I really hadn't before. When you look at identity crisis in particular, another victim in the story is Jack Drake, father of yeah. Tim Drake, Robin. And he and Captain Boomerang kill each other in mutual combat. Mm-hmm. But as Jack Drake is dying, he's having this conversation with Tim and right. they're having this tearful goodbye and Jack has agency over the proceedings here. He's holding his ground. He's contending with Captain Boomerang. He's not just taken out and then it's all about what happens to Tim. He has that moment. Mm -hmm. And when I kind of thought about it in that context, I said, okay, I I get it. You can see a delineation between how a character like Jack Drake went out versus Sue Dibney in the story. So there's that piece of it. When we talk about this, again, it's not just with Sue, the the problem or the issue is compounded by the fact that it's the reveal of this rape in the past, as well as her brutal murder in the present. So this is a character who is really put through the ringer, and it only ever seems to be for the purpose of seeing how, not even how her husband reacts, but just how the the rest of these characters do. And it was hard, too, because we did it to a character that wasn't really well known to begin with, elongated man, we knew about not an A character. Sue Dibney, kind of learn about more right at, as we're killing her. <laughs> like we we learn all about how their romance and love affair is, and then we kill her, or we kill her first and then explain it. It just again, it seems like a plot point, and and not important. It's just a way to get to the crux of the the title. Right. Now, in terms of where I ultimately land on this, 
So at this point, in talking about the arguments against identity crisis, perhaps I've lost those who, who yeah. just absolutely love it. Now I'll alienate the people who hate it. No. <laughs> Maybe that's the takeaway here. No, like I said, I just, I want to, my feeling is we have to kind of take this as it is. So where I ultimately land on this is I don't think you can look at this and say there's nothing problematic about it. I mean, you can, I don't think it's a strong argument. However, for me, and I know people can have can and will and do have different yeah. answers to this. To me, that doesn't invalidate the entire work. Correct. So again, if there's someone who's like, I can't stomach this book, I never want to look at it again, totally get it. If there's someone who's like, again, this the book's reliance on on this trope that we've been talking about renders it invalid in my book as far as I'm concerned. I understand that too, and that's fine. Yeah. Again, where I land on it is, again, I think there's still enough here of value that's worth talking about yeah. that I, that I do still enjoy, but I don't think you can ignore what's going on. And I, and this is whether we're talking real world politics or Correct. stories here, I feel like acknowledging, addressing, having an honest discussion is the best way to do it. And so it's like, and we see this, again, I don't really get too political here, but we see the extremes all the time where, mm-hmm. On the one hand, you might have people who just refuse to acknowledge any sort of issue or problem, kind of bury their heads in the sand. Mm -hmm. Then on the other hand, you have people who, uh, again, when we talk about cancel culture, right? Like, oh, because of this, well, that's it. That person's done. That project's done. This thing can't be looked at. This thing can't be talked about. I don't think that's the answer either. It's like, we have to talk about it. We have to wrestle with it. And everyone will land where they land, and that's okay. So that's that's my feeling. We talk about this a lot in my house lately. Whether you attribute it to Walt Whitman or to Ted Lasso, the be curious, not judgmental quote comes into play in so many things. The curiosity of the discussion is important for our culture right now. We are in a society where it's, oh, that one thing, I don't like it, judgment, and it's done. And it doesn't even allow the let's sit in a room and talk, let's sit around a table, break bread, not read text tone or email tone or article tone, but actually have, well, what about, I haven't thought about, let's talk about. And 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 be, I hate the like agree to disagree phrase, but you're allowed to disagree if you listen to more perspectives. Yes. You're not allowed to disagree if you shut the door. That's not allowed. And that's how our social media culture is. That's how our news culture is. It's black and white. We don't talk about how we arrive at both of those sides. And that's where we get in the danger with a book like this. And I don't. I would hate for someone to start with, for example, a Justice League run and then go, whoa, 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 identity crisis. Mm-mm. And they just jump. Because I think that's dangerous with the stories of the characters. I think it's important. I don't think we avoid topics. We deal this with music too. You know, I've had I've had friends of mine like I can't listen to Michael Jackson music anymore. Well, can you separate the artist from the person? Like, can you separate the topic from the rest of this artwork? Identity Crisis is a really cool project. And if you look at, I mean, Rags Morales, it's beautiful. It's different than we're used to. Also, we don't see. The Justice League drawn in this way very often, but it's incredible. So I'll stop. <laughs> it's a run on sentence. No, no, I, I appreciate all that. I think it's true. And and again, I'm sure we'll get a range of reactions to yeah. this, but th- that's fine, right? Everyone everyone will feel differently about it. Uh, the other thing too that is is worth mentioning here is 
this book is almost 20 years old. Yeah. And that's not to make an excuse for it, but I would imagine, oh, well, how should I put this? I did imagine before I read a relatively recent interview with Brad Meltzer, which I'll refer to. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that this probably would have played out differently today. I'll, yes. I'll share a quote from an interview he gave where I don't know that it necessarily would. But before I read that interview, I said to myself, well, I'm sure if he were telling this story today, mm-hmm. it would be a little it would be a little different. Uh, the other thing, too, is what I recognize and we have to also be honest with ourselves about ourselves and our own blind spots me reading this as a high school senior, yeah. I'm not looking at it from the perspective of did the female character have enough agency in right. this story where this violence against her is used as a plot point? No. no. And I, that, it's, it's not, I'm not right or wrong that I didn't. It was just that wasn't where my head was at the time. Yeah. And it's like now in terms of where I am in my life, in terms of what the larger c- cultural dialogue yeah. has been, it's like, of course you look at this differently. And again, and not, not in a judgmental way, but just in a realistic way about what it is. I get... I get frustrated when when people go, oh, in 2023, like in 2022, rape wasn't bad. Like it, we we use this, oh, if if this was written in 2023, like guys, it's just a bad topic all the time. In 1970s, in 1990s, it's something that we should still talk about. But we we, we have this weird like right now we would never do that. Oh my god! Well then, did we not talk about it? Were we not? Were we in agreement with it ten years ago? And so, some quick facts. Yes, Identity Crisis was one of the top-selling books of the entire decade from 2000 to 2010. One of the most popular books, like best-selling, um, regularly makes a list of DC Comics best comics, best moments, best fights. Um, but it is criticized for its use of sexual violence as a plot device. That's just bare bones facts. So. If we go to the, like, why are, is it in the best column? Like, we are going to talk about that tonight. Um, and there are a lot of, like, the Deathstroke fight is incredible. Like, and there's things I want to talk about that side, too, that we need to talk about. Not just Deathstroke, but what if they told Deathstroke and, 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 and fill in the blank? How would that have gone down? If Deathstroke knew what Dr. Light did having a daughter named Rose. How would that have gone down? Oh, that's a great question. Like, would he turn around and beat the living crap out of Dr. Light himself? Because that's the thing. He's a mercenary, but he's also a father. He was also a husband, a loving husband. So it's just really interesting how they ignored that a little bit. But stuff we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And the I was going to save this for later, but we'll, we'll just take, let's just address it now. Yeah. So I was, we were talking off mic about this, but yeah. I was digging a little bit into how this project came to be. Cause I realized I had a certain assumption based on limited information and it turned out to be very incomplete. So yeah. as, as we know, Brad Meltzer, of course, is acclaimed New York times, bestselling yeah. novelist and Bob Shrek, editor of green arrow had tapped him to take over that title when Kevin Smith left. And the idea was we just had this renowned filmmaker from outside the comics field. Now, now we kind of want to, yeah, yeah. Now we're going to bring in an author and that whole thing. And obviously that did well. My understanding in this part was true is that after the success of Archer's Quest, DC wanted more from Meltzer. At this point, this is where my knowledge went astray because I I thought or assumed that Meltzer said, okay, you want more? This is the story I want to tell and that he generated this. So I was digging around to try to find confirmation on that. And so I found articles and old tweets and screenshots and stuff from Valerie DeRazio, who was the assistant editor on the book. Now, 
there's a whole other separate conversation to be had some other time by someone else. Yeah. Uh, but as I say, that name that might be familiar. She has written online about her experience working uh, under uh, Mike Carlin, right, renowned editor who recently retired uh, from DC Comics, and she's documented inappropriate workplace behavior and sexual harassment, and that's all out there if people want to read that. But what caught my attention in the context of preparing for this episode specifically is that she talked about how this project was conceived. Mm. And in screenshots of old tweets of hers, she said, this book was originally conceived at a DC Comics editor's retreat wow. as an overall push to make the publisher more dark and edgy as to compete with Marvel Comics. VP Dan DiDio specifically said at the retreat that his goal was to take the smile out of comics. It was supposed to be a statement on DC's new direction. And part of that new direction would be more adult themes such as rape and greater violence. Mm. There's an older blog post of hers. The title of it is, quote, we need a rape. Mm. So, so there's that piece of this. She continues, identity crisis writer Brad Meltzer got some criticism over the rape scene in the book and its level of violence overall. But to be fair to him, he was specifically asked by editorial to put that in. He didn't come up uh, with those ideas. Uh, Sue was chosen as both the rape and murder victim because she was pure and the girl next door. Also, mm. elongated man was considered corny. And so having his wife, Sue, be the victim darkened him a bit. Uh, there's, oh, she also addresses, uh, th these were much more, much more recent tweets uh, where this came up again. And she, this was, someone asked about the reveal of Gene Loring as, yeah. the, as the ultimate perpetrator. And Dorazio said, the murderer's identity was a mess. I don't remember offhand who, if anyone, the original killer was supposed to be, but I just remember the resolution from an editorial standpoint being a mess. And again, in these, in these recent tweets, she also said, Rags Morales did absolutely gorgeous work on that book. And it again, it wasn't like Meltzer approached DC out of nowhere with the extreme storyline. The storyline was pretty much given to him. He did the best he could with it. He was hired because he was a comics fan and a best-selling writer. So two things. Number one... Well, actually, number one, what is your reaction to that? Oh. I guess we could refer to the fact that Joss Whedon writes the introduction to the trade. Oh, man, that hits you right in the face. I pulled that off the shelf. Again. And I was like, oh, like I saw that, that. The first name I look at when I pull it off, I was like, oh, no. Introduction by Joss Whedon. Yeah. On a, and when um, you compare it to Mike Carlin... Yes, and the, those allegations too. I, I went down the I went down the rabbit hole and talked and looked at, re re kind of visited Joss Whedon because there's a lot of characters and actors that I respect that I've worked under and with, and it's it's hard. Like it's hard to read some of that stuff. On a, I don't mean to make light of any of this, but on the Joss Whedon front, mm -hmm. at the end of his introduction, it says Joss Whedon is currently preparing to write and direct a Wonder Woman movie for Warner Brothers. Yeah. It's like, well, fascinating to look at that from a 2023 lens. It's like, right. no, not only did he not make that movie and have all of his issues, but he also left, left or was dropped from a Batgirl project yes. that was then later made by other filmmakers that Warner Brothers then threw in the trash cans for a tax credit. So it's Don't forget it's he belittled Gal Gadot. Oh, well, of course. No, and yeah. said he'd, she'd never work again if she didn't watch what she was doing. Yeah. I think I've just, you know, the Justice League, man, I, <sighs> I wasn't even in my head at that no. moment. I've just blocked it. I've tried yeah. to block it. But anyway. Uh, but you, yeah. I mean, it's just, I think, well, the, I do like Dan DiDio quite a bit. And I, I hope, I would hope that that's not true. But 
I know that that's exactly what was being talked about in DC Comics at that time. They were getting destroyed by Marvel, and they were not edgy, and they needed to do stuff like Infinite, uh, Infinite Crisis, Identity Crisis. They needed to do more authority. They needed to do things that were hard hitting. Oh, I would just, I was just kind of thinking about like that meeting, like, when, like who was in that room when I said, you know, we we, we need a rape. Like who says that? I, I who says that as this is what we need. Nobody needs that. That that should have been a different conversation. What are topics that we can cover inside upcoming story arcs? That's the way, that's the way we approach the conversation. There's another blog post of hers. She had written about this anonymously at first, but it's very thinly veiled. Yeah. You know what it's about. There was another blog post where she writes about an assistant editor running in after the those pages came in and. According to her, literally, this other assistant editor or associate editor was saying the rape pages are in. Oh gosh! Now, two things. Number one, I'm again, I'm just sharing what she has put out there publicly as someone who was the assistant editor and worked right. on this book. I don't know it, how accurate or not it is. However, to my knowledge, it doesn't seem like anyone has ever come out to contradict those events. They're as far as I could find, this is the lawyer, <laughs> as far as I can find, there wasn't any any dispute as to her account of these events. If there yeah. was, I didn't come across it. So that's all to say I don't really have a reason to think this is not the case. So based on that, it did color things a little bit for me because, mm. you know, we always talk about the intent behind these things. Right. And it's one thing for again it's one thing for this to kind of come from the top to come from editorial versus the creator kind of generating it you know because i think there i don't know there there is something to be said for that as far as just artistic integrity and and where it's coming from and all of that but it's like it's one thing for dc to be like hey we want to do a murder mystery set in the dc universe yeah it'll sell well as opposed to exactly like you're saying we're getting crushed over here we need to go darker we need this this act of violence specifically, and then we're going to build a story around it. And it's interesting. The rape, as you're saying, should have been something of a shock, not the center. You look at the name identity crisis. It's a double on, it's, it's, it's talking about the identity of a hero, the quote that putting a costume paints a bullseye on your family's chest. It's it's every hero, whether you're a female hero or a male hero, it's putting yourself out there. There are people that are going to come after your family because of it. As we're sitting here talking and as we're talking about the planning stages of a concept, it's really easy to sit in a captain's chair and like, well, I would have done this if I was Brad Meltzer. However, I constantly ask my myself the question, why would they think it'd be okay to have another woman do what she did to sue Dibney. Like, like the spoilers, Jean Loring, like we talked about, Jean has left Ray Palmer. She's upset that Ray has taken their marriage and taken it for granted because he's a hero. She basically wants to bring the hero's fan marriages closer together by scaring them, by hurting Sue Dibney bringing everybody back to their spouse, whether they're estranged, split up, or just need more time together. My question was, why would you have 
a woman do that to another woman. And secondarily, I think it would have been actually better writing to have Adam Ray Palmer be the one that does it to Sue Dibney. Like he he's the one that clearly was feeling the loss of his wife. He missed Gene. Gene left him. Why not have him be the one? But no, they couldn't do that because that would make the males look weak. Oh yeah, comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah! Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. You hit the nail on the head, man. Even for all these years, going back to that that weekday when I went to alternate realities on my lunch period and I read it in the car, I've never liked it. And even long before I had the understanding mm-hmm. of the nuances of the argument that we've just been discussing, even before all of that, it always bugged me that Gene was the one. And, and yes, it's weak. In the context of what we're talking about and the fact that it's, again, this woman perpetrating this acting as another woman, that, right. that's its own thing. But even just as far as a mystery goes, in the context of this story, it always bugged me because to your point, and you are a thousand percent right, and I, as I was rereading it, I was re- like really Why? zeroing in on this. I understand not wanting to overplay your hand, mm-hmm. right? If she had come across as too desperate or too clingy or too wanting, you know, too interested in getting back together, okay, that might let the reader in on, on what's going on. Yeah. But you read it, and there is nothing to indicate that Ray would not be interested right. in rekindling things, right? Again, as these scenes play out, they, they're, they're initially meeting, she's signing over the patents that she had been awarded in their yeah. divorce. Like, she's signing them back over to Ray's him. Ray's the one that's hurt by all this. Yeah. Jean's fine. That's and the thing that threw me off. I've never, that's that has bothered me from day one. It still bothers me to now. I think that is a genuine shortcoming of yeah. this story it just it does not track right. and it would have been a far better twist when you get to the end of issue six right and we've had this question 
that Batman pose, right? Yeah. Who benefits? Right. Who benefits when the wife of a superhero is murdered? It's the families, the loved ones of the other heroes. Correct. Because all the other heroes will pull them in close. And hand in hand with this, you have Dr. Midnight. I loved all the oh Dr. Gosh. Midnight autopsy stuff. Best. That was great. And yeah. there's that issue of JSA by Jeff Johns and Dave Gibbons mm-hmm. where it's all about that autopsy and back and forth with uh, Dr. Midnight. And Mr. I've always Terrific. loved Dr. Midnight as a character in general. So It's so good. But when he finds those tiny footprints, footprints. on Sue's brain yeah. and you see Ray with the creepy look in his eyes as yeah. he and he and Sue are are preparing to get intimate there it it's like oh my god like and that tracked because yeah. as we're saying he's the one in their yeah. earlier interactions he's the one who who seems hurt and would just be open it. to this that yeah. would all they would have had to do was take out Sue faking her own suicide i mean um Jean faking her own suicide just take that bit out insert something else and it would attract having Gene looking at Ray like Ray is looking at Gene. It's like, you're a hero. How could you do this to your friend? Well, I wanted you back and I was broken by you. Like, but that again would like, if you look at how the editorial staff is talking and how they're so nonchalant about the trope, yep, they would never in a hundred million years make one of their male heroes look that weak. And it's 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 infuriating. It's bad writing. It's like weak writing to me. It is because the the upshot of all of this, I feel like the it's only- It's not a risk. The, yeah. And I feel like the only rational takeaway you can have from Jean in this story, from what's presented, mm-hmm. is she crazy. Yeah. That's it. Because of what we've seen, right? There's no rational basis for why she would take these steps based on what we've seen in her interactions with Ray. And even as she's admitting Which- to this- it's like there's there's just she clearly in terms of what she's saying and how she's depicted clearly unhinged. What the problem is that's the only time in the book she seems unhinged. Like every time else she's she is the calm collected one. She is listen. I'm not okay with this. I'm done. And and rightfully so. Like we've seen Dinah walk away from Ollie. We've seen other people walk away. We've seen Lois get pretty pissed at Clark. And and this is the thing. It's weak writing because. He should be the one that realizes he's taking her for granted. But she's a strong, independent woman and went, no, I'm done. I don't need you. Go be a scientist hero. We're good. And and see, like, he should have the crazy eyes. But then you go ahead and make her the crazy woman who wants her man back. And that, oh, my gosh, like, as a father of daughters and married to a strong woman, uh-uh. No, I don't. it doesn't track. Yeah, again, and, and also just in terms of everything else that's been done to Sue in this story, it yeah. just, it's just, it's so egregious, you would think. Like, there are, that's the thing. I think there are ways to have sort of mitigated what went on earlier in the story had more been explored from Sue's perspective, or at least at a minimum, if we had had a better resolution. And I do truly think that Ray would have been, and again, I, I, to be clear to anyone who's like, oh, this is about women in refrigerators. No, no, no. no. I'm even putting that aside for a minute. I think just in the context of the story, I don't think Gene is the appropriate culprit here. Also, too, I mean, I agree with you. They wouldn't want to sully right. Ray Palmer. But it's like they throw Ray Palmer away after this he's story. Literally like, he's literally disappears. Yeah. yeah. So, the, again, I, I, I don't want to belabor any points, but these these are separate pieces to this. Yeah. And the, the last thing I want to say, I referred to this earlier, but the the CBR interview that Brad Meltzer did on the 15th anniversary. So in 2019, mm-hmm. he gave this interview. And CBR asked this question. 
might have worded it a little bit differently, but at least they broached the subject. Oh, no. At least no, they broke they broke <laughs> okay. they broached the subject. I think they could have narrowed it, but it's fine. CBR asks the biggest part of the response to identity crisis revolved around the female characters in the book. It was bookended by tragic events for Sue Dibney and Jean Loring, and that aspect of the series got a very polarizing response even back then. Now we're in a different place in society in terms of how we talk about issues like domestic abuse and so much of what informed your series. Would you write it differently today if you had the chance to do it again? Or do you not play those mental exercises? Are we differently informed? Like, that's that's what bothers me. That's just one little phrase, too. We're more well-informed, are we? Like, I, 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 So I didn't know how he would respond to this. And I, to be clear, I, I, do want, I do want to make this point. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for him to oh, yeah, apologize I, for, his, for no. his work, right? It was what it was. But at the same time, I guess I was expecting something along the lines of, hey, that was at that point, you know, 15 years, a decade and a half ago, I would, I might approach the material differently. I, you know, like something along those lines, not like, oh, I would toss the whole thing out, but like something to that effect, maybe. Uh, I'm not like upset with Brad Meltzer from a, how he used the trope or how he approached it or how, how he was told. I think it's just weird to me. It, it, that it's sloppy. Like we've all seen good murder mysteries. And when there's like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. You you go backwards and you go, oh, I should have seen that coming. When you go backwards from identity crisis, it doesn't make sense. It's the same problem that, and I've talked about this on other podcasts before. It's the same problem I always had with Hush. Yes. Hush remains this great book that you can give to someone who's not really familiar with Batman. But Tommy this- doesn't track. Yeah, well, no, Tommy, I'm okay with it's the Riddler piece yeah. that I'm just like, you know, and you go back and you read it and Riddler pops up once and it's like, there's nothing really that right. tips you off. I mean, and again, not tip you off is, is not even the right term because like we're saying, it should be something, I feel like the best mysteries. Yeah. You read it the first time and you don't know. You missed it. And then once you have that information, you go back and it yes. all becomes clear. Yes. And I feel like in both the case of Hush with the Riddler reveal in particular, like the thing with Tommy Elliott, you introduce a new character who's the surgeon uh, and this long lost friend we've never seen before. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we have a new villain in surgical bandages. It's like, yeah. it's obvious, but it's like, okay, it's like, it, it's not like it doesn't make sense. I, and whether you love this movie or not, that's, <laughs> that's your own opinion. But the reason I love knives out is when I first saw that movie, when you go back then you go, Oh my gosh, how did we not like, how did we miss that? And it's good writing. Um, so I'm not mad at Brad. I'm just kind of, well, I'm just kind of like, dude, like, I feel like he missed something. I feel like it's, we missed the boat on that. And I, I again, I. But there's also we we're gonna get to like honestly, folks, <laughs> we're gonna get to some really great things to talk about. Yeah, look, I I hope I I trust the audience, and I hope that you guys are with us and you yeah. understand where we're coming from. And I feel like these things need to be addressed. It's like I, to jump in here and be like that Deathstroke fight was so awesome, and I, I don't I feel like this needs to. We be would discussed. not honor it correctly. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, and so anyway, that's, that's why we've kind of taken the yeah. word we have. But anyway, this is what Meltzer said. He goes, I think it's dangerous to take old work and try to rewrite it for whatever today's mm. standards are supposed to be for a particular moment. If you do that, you're starting to write by focus group and by groupthink. No great story will ever come from that. I think that anyone who read this book knows there are really hard issues in the book. There are moments about people and about us, about rape and about violence. Mm. Even when I look back on it, it's a hard moment to read. It's designed to be. A little bit more. I'll go through it quickly. I remember at the time people were writing, rape has no place in a comic. To me, if you say in any medium, to me, if you say in any medium that subjects are off limits, yeah. well, I'll say it this way. 
I wish there was no rape in the universe. I wish that awful event never took place. But if we say that we can't discuss this as a culture, we're in an even worse place than just having it exist. It will always be uncomfortable. That's what art always has to do. Our medium has to deal with those issues, and that's what it's always done. It may not please everyone, but art is not always meant to please you. It's at its best meant to challenge you. This is where he lost me a bit because mm. I don't, well, I think there are There's valid points in that statement. Sure, sure. Yeah. Again, but I, I don't think, I'm sure there are categories of fans who just don't want, don't think that place, that topic has any place in comics yeah. generally. And I perhaps his comment addresses that piece of it, but I don't think it addresses the the more specific point here about how it was used. I I think that's the problem. It's not so much, again, I'm sure there are people like it shouldn't have been in there at all, but I think this kind of misses the point of, well, if you are going to do it, don't use it as a plot device. And that's what's, what's missing here in his response. I was, uh, you know, I was disappointed by that. I'm not gonna lie. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it was interesting to kind of see, because I was curious. That was the big thing. I was curious in all these years with all the articles. And I was like, has he addressed this? What is his position on it now? So there you go. As of the 15th anniversary, we'll see any 20 year anniversary yeah. interviews that come up if anything's changed. I'd be curious if they even address it again. I think, I don't know. I wonder, based on how we're reading about things, whether they'll be like, hey, 30th anniversary. Like, they're, they're not going to touch it again. Yeah, we, we will see. But look, this is, you know, this is such, when you talk about the crisis events and you talk about DC publishing history, you know, this is such a, it's a big it's a big book, and it, it definitely paved the way for what led to Infinite Crisis. Right. It really set the tone for a few years at the publisher. And I don't think you can read Identity Crisis without reading the JLA Crisis of Conscience from the JLA run that Jeff Johns wrote there. Like, they really do pair well. I think you would be doing it a dis- an injustice by stopping at the end of Identity Crisis and not reading that trade. Because it does bring a lot of interesting things to light. It does have Batman finally get to talk and defend himself a little bit um, about the 10 minutes, about the the friendship versus the 10 minutes. Like friends wouldn't have to take away 10 minutes from me. Um, friends would talk to me the first in the first place. And there's, there's that too. It's what, even if you talk to Batman, maybe you didn't like his choice, but maybe it's the right choice. Um, but yeah, where do you want to start? Like, where do you want to go next? You know, what I want to ask you is, I do still want to get to this larger question about how identity crisis fits into this Red Skies event that we're mm. doing because it's not, it's, it's not a quote unquote crisis level event in the way world that shattering. Yeah. Crisis on Infinite Earths right. is or Infinite Crisis. We're not. We. It's interesting though. It is and it isn't because we are dealing with. It is a story that touches the whole of the DC universe, not not in a intergalactic. Right. component but certainly earthbound right so it does touch on uh, you know kind of a wide 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 scope within the dc universe and it does rewrite continuity in a sense because it takes these older stories and shows you what was going on between the panels there yes and, and it's it's a crisis i you know I, I said it's not world shattering but then i'm thinking about even that phrase like Actually, it is kind of world shattering. It's shattering for the world of the hero and what they deal with and what we don't see behind the scenes. So how, like, and even if, as as, as I said in the Crisis of Conscience, it talks, you get to see Supergirl go to uh, Themyscira and, and talk to Wonder Woman. And this is right out of her killing Maxwell Lord. 
And and her saying, if you talk to Superman and Batman, they don't agree with what I did. Here's why I did this. And and having the discussion and talking through that. There, there, there are a lot of hard topics and crises happening that identity crisis touched on. Yeah, you know, I the reason why I chose to, so when we talk about this this Red Skies run of episodes that mm-hmm. we're doing, not every story we're discussing has crisis in the title. For right. example, right, we're right. going to hit Flashpoint, we're going to hit the Metal yeah. Wars, Doomsday Clock, but they're still part of this conversation that we're having. Not every single story that has crisis in its title earns an episode. Right. Sorry, Heroes in Crisis. I'm just no, not I'm touching not that one. No, I'm not touching that one. We'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but this one always felt like a no-brainer because initially I was looking at it more from the perspective of, well, it sets the stage for Infinite Crisis. But, you know, love it or hate it, it, Ultimately it, it really paves it the way for that. And then, you know, I think it ties, in, again, I don't know exactly how everything unfolded at DC behind the scenes. I think it tied in with kind of, what they wanted to do with this larger event and looking at all the corners of the DCU and yeah. the distrust. Right? It's not a multiverse crisis. No. It's a philosophical crisis. Yeah, and an emotional one. Yeah. Uh, but but again, as we're talking about it, in terms of how it, quote unquote, rewrites continuity by shedding a new light on stories that we right. had experienced before. Uh, and yeah, in terms of the, just, I don't know, kind of how it, upheaves everything within the DC universe, but from an emotional standpoint, yeah. less so than, like you said, a world, it's world right. shattering from an emotional standpoint, Correct. not in terms of it's the their physical, world, not the literal world. world. Yeah. 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 So I do genuinely think it earns the title. The covers, I, I do just want to uh, mm. shout out for a second by the late, great Michael Turner. Oh, gosh. Amazing covers that really tell their own story as you're making your way through this. Yeah. Uh, the I Probably my favorite is a cover to issue two, where you see that subset of satellite era justice league characters as they're looking at the audience and barry allen's got his eyes closed his 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 head you know hung low in shame uh for the for being the deciding vote to lobotomize uh dr light but the covers are gorgeous the cover to issue number one has superman in the center crying which is so interesting well it's not a crisis if superman's not weeping of course he's really not involved he's not well that's the thing when we the other thing too as for this podcast generally right it's it's always about superman and even this event we look at how it affects the dc universe each of these stories but also the superman of it all and there there is some superman to be had and, and talked about yes. here but yeah this is not a story where he's front and center he is on that first cover i give them credit though because i do remember when this was coming out we didn't know what the hell this story was no. about no and there's this, there's a coffin in the middle of issue one. Yeah. So we're like, who just went down? I know. Like, like is it Lois? Like, I yes. remember, like, we were all like, what what is going on here? So and I think, I think yeah. they, yeah, they, I forget how they marketed it, but you knew that it was not a hero. It was somebody connected to them emotionally or family that dies. And, we're, and you're like, what well, what do they do? And, and if, yeah, I, my, my brain went to Lois when I first saw that. Yeah. Because so, you see Superman crying in the, in the middle, so... Yeah, I mean, it certainly leads you down one path. Even the hardcover, he's still most prominent here yeah. in the center here. I yeah. know we got to sell some books here, but <laughs> yeah, it, that is a bit misleading. But I liked how I liked how they hid the ball in the marketing because so often they give everything away. So yes. this was a really cool instance where you didn't know, and it really kept you on the edge of your seat as you were reading. I mean, again, people experience this in different ways. I would imagine the majority of people at this point now almost 20 years later who yep. read, it, read it in a collected edition in one sitting. But uh-huh. people who read it monthly as it was coming out. It's messed up. I remember, do you remember the the theories 
uh, not so much about the victim, but who the, the, the killer, killer was. No. So I remember, I feel like I came across this on some message board and then I, I didn't pass it off as my own, but I definitely <laughs> popularized it at the shop. I remember, because we get this, this business about when the secret society of supervillains switch bodies with the Justice League and then they switch back. Oh, sure. And I remember there was a theory that what if one of them didn't switch back or something like that? How that would have actually oh, played out logistically. Been... But yeah, that's Oof. the idea. Like someone didn't switch back and yeah. it's, and, uh, and I remember, you know, we were talking about it at the store and everyone was excited. And then obviously that ended up not being the case. But yeah, it was very exciting and very intriguing as far as how this was all going to play out. And again, as we talked about the ultimate payoff, a bit underwhelming, but it was definitely fun to be guessing as we go along. But this is what I wanted to ask you, especially when we talk about rewriting continuity. Because yeah. look, we, we've talked about the Bronze Age a bunch of times and, you know, that's the the, the era that Meltzer is playing with here, right? As we're mm-hmm. looking back and we're showing... This was the darkness that was kind of beneath the surface. You read all these, quote unquote, you know, simpler, more innocent stories. And in between the panels here, we have this this violence. We have this mind wiping of the villains. It's like, why do you think these villains were always so silly and ineffectual over over all these years? Well, because we were tampering with their minds. I guess just, and and I know this is really the the heart of this ethical question at at the center of this book here, but yeah, I mean, how do you feel, not so much about what the heroes do, but about the book itself kind of casting that new light on these stories that that people grew up with? I I guess the question I had when when you're asking, you're finding out Zatanna's messing with everybody and she's, she's, I guess lobotomized was an interesting word, first of all, too, because they're still functional. Yeah. They just, they're a different person. They're literally a different personality. My question was, why didn't you go into Arkham? <laughs> like, if we were doing this. Oh, like to be more proactive? Yeah. Like, why yeah. didn't we go in? Like, you, we just kept letting Joker kill people. <laughs> like, why, if you were going to do this and do it behind Batman's back, clearly, why didn't you do it to Joker? Why didn't we do it more? And I think that was the thing we were finding out. Um, like, well, who, who didn't she do it to? Who did they? Who did they erase? I go back and forth ethically. I, I, I guess I don't know how I feel about it. Does that make sense? Like it's yeah, that's kind of interesting. It's like well, we need to make sure he doesn't do it because that was the defense, right? It was Doctor Light. He said, "I'm just gonna find her again. I'm gonna do it again. You can't stop me." And then they're all broken. They're like, "We we can't let this happen to her again," and. We, so we're going to erase him, but not just erase him, erase his urge to do that, which was interesting. No, for it's sure. It's like Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny as we're, as we're unpacking this aspect of it, I, not to, not to drudge up, you know, older controversy now, <laughs> but not older than this story. Yeah, but sure. Man of Steel, right? And I'll, I'll keep this brief, but, but <laughs> I, I couldn't help but think about this because I think at this point, when we talk about Clark's killing of Zod in that movie, I think most people recognize that the movie, the movie's intention was that he's in a situation where it's either kill Zod or this family is going to be killed. I know there are some out there who will still be like, well, we should have flown him up into the sky. Okay, fine. But I think, again, the movie was trying to say these were his only two options. And he's, and he was told by Zod. Right. I will kill all of them. Exactly. So I think- and again, I, it's not like I have a, I, statistics here that I can really right, say sure. this with any specificity, but the sense that I get from talking to people and just kind of seeing online, I think a lot of people, 
seemed to understand Clark's decision in that moment, but seemed to have a bigger problem with the movie putting him in that position in the first place. And yes. I'll be honest, for a number of years, that was the argument I made. For years, I was always like, well, I get why he did it, but I wish that the movie didn't didn't do that, didn't cast him in that light. Right. I've, as I've talked about on the show, it's been a journey, it's been a process. <laughs> I've shifted my perspective on that. I, I get what the movie was was doing and I, I'm, I'm okay with it. But I can't help but think about it in the context of this story of Identity yeah. Crisis because again, I feel like if you poll uh, a thousand comics fans, the notion of certainly erasing memories, I feel like people probably wouldn't have too much memories of villains in particular. Batman's a separate conversation, right. but erasing memories. I, I don't know that that's when we're talking about preserving secret identities. I think people are probably okay with that. The altering of personalities, it gets a little dicier, but again, I feel like most people probably would ultimately be okay with that. But I think there is this, there might be this larger feeling of, but why, why even broach this subject? Why even, take these stories and the reason why I ask and when I ask you and I know your love of the Bronze Age is yeah. like I don't I well don't say, forget the old stories like that's the thing they yes. already set the tone because there were the stories where they all learned right. their identities they all they all learned the superheroes identities not their family members they learn who they are and that's the answer we have to erase these names from their memories right so it starts there like no but I like I guess just kind of in a in a broader sense like I Again, I don't want to say I don't have a horse in this race, but mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't grow up reading those Bronze Age stories. Right. I don't have any attachment to them. But I think about how I might feel if some writer came along and was like, hey, you know all those Superman Triangle era stories you read? This is what was going on between the panels. Uh, and I might mm. feel a certain way about that. Yeah. So I'm kind of asking more in that context, like as far as casting those old stories in this mm. new light. And look, we can talk about headcanon and you can go back and look at those well, old sure. stories and not, I, and not think about it, but- I guess that's kind of what I'm curious about, how, how you feel about I that. I guess I feel that it was an interesting, what I, what I like about Identity Crisis was it was an angle we've never taken before. Because the Bronze Age, first of all, let's all be clear, I was not reading comics in the Bronze Age. <laughs> as, as nice as Anthony is to me telling me how, you know, I wasn't reading them when they were coming out. Neither was I, everybody, <laughs> just so we're clear. <laughs> I just love it, the era. I'm not trying to add like two decades to <laughs> yeah. your age. So Bernie was born in 57. Um, but um, we've set the tone about the hero's identities and those being mind wiped. For forever, we all would read stories and realize that it just kind of seemed like everybody in the hero's lives were off limits. There were never real stakes. Now, like... Iris West, or like people have died, but it, but it wasn't. Uh, I don't. I mean, correct if I'm wrong. I don't remember brutal deaths of non-heroes. Like nobody killed Jimmy Olsen. Nobody's killed. You know, all like and a sidekick in that way. We, we weren't. Don't forget, we're not going to call Jason Todd. He he's a hero. So um, but does you know what I'm getting at? Like that was kind of off limits, and to now take the angle of okay. The, the 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 wives the spouses they're on the table now that to me is like oh okay if they're on the table now maybe we need to readdress the mind wipe concept and so i don't have like how would we feel yeah of our own spouses like whoa that's like forget the the rape trope let's talk about just the they're they're not going to stop coming after my wife because they know who i am or who she is right 
Yeah, I so I, yeah, I want to talk about like the ethics within the context of the story. The last right. thing I'll say sort of in this meta textual sense is the closest experience I think I have with this, again, another Marvel reference here, but mm. from, it's funny because it's been so many years now since I read Spider-Man regularly, but he's my favorite Marvel character. And I would say from the mid nineties through the mid aughts, I was mm. all in on Spider-Man. I read all the books. I followed everything. And I, the Sins Past storyline by Straczynski in Amazing Spider-Man stopped me dead in my tracks. The mm. revelation that Gwen Stacy had had this affair with Norman Osborn that resulted in these kids. My understanding, again, I really haven't read in years. I think this has since been retconned. Previously, it was just yeah. kind of ignored by subsequent writers. And then I think it's actually been properly retconned at this point. But I remember, I don't, I, you know, not to, not to be hyperbolic, but like I remember feeling sick like reading that issue, that flashback issue. Like and that's it, messed up. Like. It was so messed <laughs> up. And it's like, yeah. You, you know, can't help but kind of color than how you look back at those other stories. So again, I say all of this for anyone, especially especially older fans who who did grow up reading these stories. Right. If you feel some sort of way about that aspect of it, I do, you know, I, I do understand. Now, as far as the the morality of it within the context of this story, mm-hmm. I again, so just like with Man of Steel, I think it's a worthwhile topic to explore and a question to pose. And so that's yeah. why that this aspect of the story, how we deal with these villains and even with each other when it comes yes. to Batman, I think that piece of it is where this book is strongest. Well, yeah. And we could, we could say of so many stories like, well, maybe just don't go down that road to begin with. But what if we did go down that road? Like, well, what would it look like? What are the consequences? It's ultimately a what if story that, I mean, we could just treat an identity crisis because of all the New 52, Rebirth, all that kind of stuff. We're ultimately treating this like a what if. What if the spouses were under fire? How would they deal with it? And I think it's a road worth talking about. It's not a road we want to live on. It's not a road we want to travel on, but it's a road that what if we went down it? No, absolutely. And that three-part Bronze Age story, mm-hmm. it was fine. Yeah. You know, it was fine. Didn't light my world on fire, but it was it was fine. But was fascinating about it. And this is why I do, this is one of the things I do appreciate about Identity Crisis. There are things I liked. I know you yeah. spent a lot of time setting the table here, but I, it was important that we did. So in that three-part story, there's no point in that story where the villains who have switched bodies with the Justice League members remove the masks. Correct. And in particular, they've switched bodies with, it's five five members in question. Yes. Uh but two of them, Batman and Green Lantern, have masks that could be removed. And what's funny is that in Identity Crisis, you see what happened between the panels, where they did, in fact, take off those masks and discover Bruce Wayne is Batman, Hal right. Jordan is Green Lantern. Now, would they have known who the hell Hal Jordan was? No, probably not. But Bruce Wayne, they would have. But what's so funny is that my memory of Identity Crisis and its depiction of those events was so mm-hmm. strong that as I was... It took me a, a minute after I finished reading that three-part Bronze Age story to be like, oh, wait a minute. They never actually did that whole taking no. the mask off bit. But it's one of those things where I would imagine it's actually kind of shocking to me that the story didn't even touch on that because it right. seems like such a no-brainer. And I would imagine kids or adults reading those stories in the, what was it, 70s, 60s, 70s? 70s, 70s. yeah. W- might have had that question like, hey, <laughs> Like right. when uh, you know when 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 so and so was in Batman's body, like, wouldn't he take off the cowl? Like I it's such like, a natural question. I feel like there's a Justice League Unlimited episode. Yeah, the Great Brain Robbery. Yes, where Lex it and is. Flash switch, and it's this great bit where <laughs> Lex like, takes off Flash's helmet or mask, yeah. and he's like, "Who the hell is this Who's guy?" Who's this guy? Yeah, it wasn't anybody famous. Yeah. That's that's by the way, that's Bell's favorite episode ever. It's such a it's such a great one. But <laughs> but I guess my point is like that's such a natural 
course of events and such a natural thing to imagine those villains doing. And so that's where I look at what Meltzer did in this story where it's like, yeah, of course they would do that. Like we didn't see it in that story for whatever reason, they didn't broach that subject, but it's like, well, of course that would happen. Yeah. So how does the justice league deal with that? And again, I think that's a valid question to ask. And I, I mean, my, my, my personal ethics here, I really don't have any qualms about uh, erasing the names or or anything to that effect. Now, yes, it gets dicier when we talk about altering personalities here. So, but does it? Well, that's because, the question, I guess. Because that's the thing. So we send people to Arkham. We even in our even in our current like non-superhero lives in, in the real world, we we send people to rehabilitation to try to not be the way they are. So Satana's so going, okay, let's just get rid of all this. Let's 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 get rid of the year of rehab programs. Boop. And and just change them. Well, see now, now, I don't mean to, I don't mean to yeah, go, go back ahead. to our, yeah. our topic about the treatment of women in here, but it's like, she's not really saying much. It's nope. more, Hey, you should do this. And then they vote. So I, again, I think and this then is she another, walks away. Yeah. The, and then that, like the ultimately at the end of the JLA run, JLA goes, gave I don't more care do. how you vote. Yeah. I'm out. I'm not doing it. Yeah. JLA gave her, gave her more to do, but she does ultimately too. clean up. She does ultimately uh, clean up their memories uh, yeah. there too. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's this interesting thing. And I, I did, it was fascinating to see how all this played out. So, uh, you know, she, Zatanna puts Dr. Light to sleep. And let me also just say, this is a quick side note with, and I alluded to this before, but with Dr. Light, again, I don't have any attachment to this Correct. character, yeah. but that was one of the things in the years following the story. It's like sexual predator was his whole thing. Yeah. It was just his whole thing. Like they leaned in real hard to yeah. that. And I was like, okay, guys, I think we get it. Similarly with the mind wipes, and this is where this, this ties in. So I read The Secret of Barry Allen. Oh, okay. The four I didn't, part, I didn't, I didn't get the four, Yeah, no, I, I didn't ask you to. And I, I didn't know <laughs> if I would get to it myself, honestly. But I was like, I, I caught up in this. And I was like, I want to see more how this was playing out in other books. And it's great because the thing that we find out is that in deciding to alter Light's personality, Barry Allen is the deciding vote. On yeah. on the one side, for the mind wipe, we have Hawkman, Adam, and Zatanna. Yeah. And on the other hand, we have Ali, Dinah, and Hal. And Barry, the the moral vanguard of the DC universe. Apparently. The one who everyone else quakes in the lightning <laughs> of his I boots. I guess so. Or whatever. Or that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's... Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, he's the one who decides. And as Ollie is relating all of this to Wally, and I love how this played out too, where Wally recognizes that after the funeral, everyone's peeling off and teaming up and, and looking for suspects. And he notices that this select group, the members I just referenced, stay behind, right? And he's vibrating yeah. so quickly that no and one sees. And isn't Hawkman that's like- Hawkman catches because he's yeah. got the enhanced vision. It's like, Wally, you might as well show yourself. And then I love Ollie being like, all right, come on, Kyle. We know you're there. And he's like, how'd you know? He's like, I didn't. I, I did it. I <laughs> And I love- I do love Ollie through this yes. entire run. What do I always say when we talk about these events? Oh. I like a point of view character. And, and there he is. It's not Ollie, but it's, there's enough it's a lot Ollie, of it. And he's more than anyone else. You see, you see the see green yep. the green boxes a lot through it. And I think it goes a long way. And I yeah. love when, as he was kind of assessing Wally and Kyle, and it was interesting because he likened Kyle to mm-hmm. Barry- and Wally to Hal, yeah, which I thought was kind of cool. And he he noted how you know they back each other up in that moment, yes. and you know the stones on these guys because like they're the I mean obviously Wally's they've both been around for a while at right. this point, but still these are the veterans, the, the true new, veterans mm-hmm. 
Uh, and they stand their ground and demand answers about this. And that's what, what brings all of this to light. But in that Secret of Barry Allen uh, four-part arc by Jeff Johns and Howard Porter, I love Howard Porter's arc, so good. Yeah. Um, that's another run I'll be getting back to at some point as well because I'm long overdue for a reread of that. That's incredible. But Barry, uh, while he's reeling from this revelation in, the, in these issues that Barry was the one who cast the deciding vote to lobotomize Dr. Light, it turns out that's not all Barry did. So uh, he had left Wally a letter hmm. uh, via Ollie who gives him, gives him the letter. And what we find out is that Barry enlisted Zatanna's help after all this Dr. Light business yeah. where it seemed like this was, you know, they, <laughs> this was, this was going to be it. Uh, he enlisted Zatanna's help to alter the mind of the villain, the top. Why? To make him to, cause he was, he had, uh, uh, taken over the body of Barry's father. Mm. Um, it was a whole thing, but, okay. but, uh, he wanted to go, he wanted to go further <laughs> than they had, with Dr. Light. He didn't want to just, again, neuter him, right? Make him silly and ineffectual. Yeah. He wanted to actually fix his mind. And Zatanna does that. And for and so we see all of this unfolding via flashback as Wally is reading Barry's okay. letter, that the top became an ally and helped Barry take out other rogues and things like that. But eventually, because his brain was now, quote unquote, fixed, he couldn't deal with the guilt of what he had done. And he started cracking. And ultimately... You know, they, they had to face off and all that, but he, uh, the way Barry's letter ends is like, he's still out there. And it's like, I know you're going to have to deal with this at some point. Like I'm off yeah. to the future, Wally, but this is going to be your problem. I'm real sorry. Like that's kind of the gist of it. But with, within that, within that flashback piece, the top tells Barry that, or you know what? I actually might be conflating these a little bit. He might actually tell Wally when Wally confronts him in the present. So at some point yeah. <laughs> the top reveals that I think it is to Wally that he, the top, did to other rogues what Zatanna had done to him. He tried to fix them because we had all of these rogues oh like God. Trickster and Pied Piper yes. and yeah. Heatwave who had gone straight. Yeah. And so now we get like, this revelation oh, that top- He did that, yeah. That top, while, you know, I don't want to say suffering, but while under the effects of what Zatanna had done to him, did the same thing to these other villains. Wow. And then similarly, we had an arc in the Catwoman title by Will Pfeiffer and Pete Woods. Oh, okay. Where we find out that Zatanna- and the Justice League had "quote unquote" fixed Catwoman, and that's why she's now an ally, which drove me nuts. Which is garbage. That's is that run that Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook run that era of Catwoman. I I love that to death, mm -hmm. and the whole notion that she's turning over a new leaf. She becomes this kind of antihero, this point protector of, of her character growth. As, and so I know that it was kind of a long walk, but yeah. the point of it was just like with Doctor Light and his characterization, just like with the mind wipes. I think right. it was a very interesting idea. I think they just they went. They just ran with it. It's like, yeah. you guys. And I feel like it came at the detriment of characters who had actually grown. Yeah. And now you're undermining that and you're taking it away. So that still doesn't do necessarily question, address. You, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. you question that as a reader. It was like, okay, what else do we not know? What are they going to reveal to us that, oh, actually, this is per this person, we changed them too. Yeah. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020. Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. 
If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. But with Dr. Light, yeah, Hawkman, going back to that, mm-hmm. that night on the watch on the satellite, Hawkman's like, what if we clean him up a bit? Yeah. That's the phrase that he clean uses. Clean him up a bit. Yeah. You know, and then again, the sides form and Barry, and this is Wally, Ollie, Wally, Ollie is quick to point out to Wally that this was shortly after Iris had seemingly been killed. Yeah. So you get a sense of where Barry was and yeah. the choice that he makes. The saint uh, of the DC universe. How was she killed? Zoom. Was, oh, but she wasn't actually, she was, I, I haven't actually read. I mean, I don't, I don't know the back on that one. Yeah. Cause she ends up alive in the future. So yes, it was, I think, that's I think she rewritten. Yeah. I don't know that she, it might've been that she didn't actually die. Like she was just transported to the future. It was like something like that. I, I don't know all the specifics, but at that point in time, Barry thought she was dead. I don't remember if it was, and you can correct me if it was identity crisis or the crisis of conscious JLA, but there is a point that Hawkman says, either we clean him up or I'm going to kill him. Like, which one would you rather have? I, I, so I remember in Crisis of Conscience, he has, Hawkman has my two favorite lines in Crisis of Conscience mm-hmm. that follow up in JLA. One is when the League and Batman are debating all of this. And Hawkman is like, if I had known this was going to be such a pain, I would have just killed just Dr. Killed, Light exactly right. yeah. on the spot. And also, and again, this is all kind of ties together about the the morality of what the League is doing here. Because- there's an issue of Adventures of Superman written by Greg Rucka okay. during the Ruin arc. Yeah. Drawn by Rags Morales. And mm-hmm. it is technically a tie-in. It says identity compromised, I think, on the, on the cover. But at this point, Superman is contending with Ruin, who knows his secret. And he assembles Batman and Wonder Woman. Okay. And he's like, guys, like this guy knows who I am. I don't know what to do. I don't want to have another Dr. Light situation on my hands. This is the moment, and I think this is the first time, audience, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first time where Superman explicitly acknowledges that he knows what the League did, and he, because this comes before Crisis of Conscience. Well, I remember, like, they show Superman here, how did they put it? He hears what he wants to hear. What he wants to hear, yeah. I want to circle back to that in just a second. But in that conversation, so he reveals, like, this is what the League did to Dr. Light, I let them do it. Wonder Woman says, I can't believe you let them do that. Right. You should have killed him. Huh. Which again, when we talk about the ethics of this, what is what what is the if if those are the two options, yeah. if it if it must be one What's of the, worse, one of the other, right. what yeah, altering someone's personality or just putting them down. I don't know. Taking away who yeah. they are or taking away or just their taking life. them away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's but that's also been the age-old question when we bring the authority and we're going to see more of those stories I think coming to light that people are going to start asking about if we see them in the DC reboot. Like, well, yeah, why haven't we, why don't we have heroes to just take them off the board? They're killing, they're like, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Let's just kill, take them off the board. Why do we keep letting Joker escape? He kills more people, kill more families. So like, 
of course, like we don't want that. We, like it, it's it's the whole death penalty argument. But at the same time, what do you do? Like, how do you? How, like, what, what what would you rather have? Yeah, and I, and I Doctor Light cracks. Yeah, he sees the scene of them all fighting Deathstroke, and like all of a sudden he remembers everything, and now he's nuts. That was a great moment. Oh man, and it's drawn incredibly. There's in the back matter of the collected edition, the creative team gives their commentary. And originally, Melter wanted just two pages of white. Yeah. And DC talked him down to one. And then Rags was like, I, I don't feel right getting paid for a blank <laughs> for page. For two blank pages, yeah. And he was like, he said to Melter, like, can I just draw what, what we end up seeing? So if you yeah. don't like it, we won't use it. And obviously, they liked it and, and used it. And it's it's great. And what's especially cool about this, again, there's a lot that's really, really clever in this, where when Dr. Light remembers, yeah, he is a, I guess he generates an image of what he's seeing. And yes. Wally clocks it. And that's what prompts that later conversation with Ollie, where he's like, hey, when you told me this story, Batman wasn't there. Yeah. But when I saw the image, I saw that image. projected by Dr. Light, yeah. he has what happened there. And What's that's when I get that piece of it. So I thought that was that was interesting. And that whole idea, too, that Light is is sending images and Wally's seeing the images. Again, guys, like the, we shouldn't not read this book. We should still read this book. It's still a, It's still an important, well-written book. But you got to go in knowing it's kind of like... We were watching a movie the other day, and it was the Mission Impossible Fallout movie because the new one's coming out. And Renee's watching it with us, and she just doesn't do well with when somebody's getting hit really hard. Like Henry Cavill, my man, throwing somebody through a mirror, like through the wall. And she like winces, like, okay, just tell me when he's done beating the crap out of that guy. And then the story continues. It's kind of the same thing. We don't want to talk about or see that rape happening but it's like oh gosh okay i know what's happening and it, even the way it's drawn is done that way where it stops and then you just like you know what's going on like we have to take that we don't like that it's there but we need to also look at the grand scope of the story and understanding why the rest of the story is important too sure yeah i know i mean look i think in terms of the intention at mm -hmm. the inception point of this from editorial. Agreed. I think there is a definite problem, a problem there in terms of where, where this was coming from. In terms of the execution, yeah, I think there too, yeah. there are ways that this could have could have been told differently that maybe would have, again, given more due to Sue and, and yeah. given her more agency, given her more voice, give something. There's also, look, again, I, and I don't want to belabor the point, but as, as I'm reading it, you, know, you can't help but think it's like, had it been more the threat of it as opposed to the actual happening of it? I mean, I feel like there, you know, again, this begs the question of how necessary was this specifically, right? right. But in any event, uh, just in terms of, you know, going back to this decision uh, and, and everything uh, and the Superman of it all, we, which we were getting at where Ali does have that line, right? About Superman hears what he wants to hear. And then similarly later, we got this revelation that they mind why Batman, which again, we'll talk about how yeah. we feel about that. But it's Ali again, too, is like Batman knows what he wants to know. Mm -hmm. And when he says the line about Superman, you we get like we see Superman's ears. Ear. He's talking to, yeah. to elongated man. And then uh, later at towards the end of the story, there's this moment with Wally and Bruce on the watchtower when mm -hmm. you just get this close up on on Batman's eyes. And it's like, does what he do know? You know? Does he not know? Yeah. Right. Like, and like Wally even asked, like, wait. I have to say, this is one instance where I 
I prefer to just look at identity crisis in a vacuum because I like that ambiguity there. Yes. And it's like once you get past the story and then we're in the road to infinite crisis and we have all these other stories, we get firm answers on this. Oh, yeah. Right? Superman knew and he let it happen. Yep. Reading identity crisis by itself and just sort of coming to your own conclusion right like either no of course he wouldn't know he wouldn't go along with that or no, no you know what i think he would because he would think about lois and ma and pa it 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 lets you engage with the material yes. in a different way but see that's what it should do yeah like every story we read should make you afterwards going hmm do i like how that turned out and even how we were talking about gene loring do i like how they did that to her like sue's the victim but they also inadvertently made gene a victim so like, do we know? Do we like how that turned out? Like, it's. It, it, did you read all of the back yeah. editorial stuff? So like, there's a cool thing that Brad, I think Brad and Rag said, most superhero stories look through telescopes to see giant monsters and worlds, but this uses microscopes to see all the heroes' flaws and imperfections. Like, that's why the. That's why I do think the story is important to read because if you read it as a road to infinite crisis, also. You see Superman walking in the line between, like you just said, how do I feel? But I would also feel Batman's just pissed because he doesn't like being not in the know. And now he's been violated. And you also see that Wonder Woman is okay killing. Like she's like, no, that guy's got to die. That was the only way it happened. Because just like Hawkman said, I should have killed him. But it creates more conversation. Like, okay, who do we stand with? These are three members of the hero trinity. Who do we stand with? Yeah. Yeah, no, again, I think the philosophical questions it poses there, I think they're valid ones. I, I That aspect of it, I really did enjoy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm on board with that. But no, I, like what I'm saying is I, and it's just a function of a shared comic book universe. Of right. course, we're going to get answers to these questions. I just, I like the the brief moment that we lived in where it was up to us as to what the answer would be. Right. But of course, later we do get the answers. Again, I I believe it's that issue of Adventures of Superman where he express, ex expressly articulates that he knows they did it. And he says exactly that. Like, I thought about Lois and yeah. Ron Paul. <laughs> it's like, and of course, like I don't have any qualms with Superman allowing that for, for exactly that reason. Uh, Batman knowing, hmm. and I was digging around here. I was, I don't know at what point yeah, he the I don't know what the first instance is of him saying that he knows. It might be Crisis of Conscience or well, OMAC Project. Remember, it's well. I think the first moment we learn that Batman knows is when Martian Manhunter says it. Yes, it's like oh, he knows. Like and and and, that, and you can all see how scared John is. Like oh oh no no he knows, and they still can't get to it in time, and just every time Bruce reacts to them. Oh, that was my other my other favorite line that also goes to Hawkman from Crisis yeah. of Conscience when Batman decks oh, him yeah. and Hawkman goes, I hope it was worth it because I'm about to give you 10 minutes you'll never forget. Yeah, oh, like, oh, man. That's good. As far as burns go, yeah. man, that one's up there. That was great. <laughs> oh, it was one of my favorite moments. Because I would have loved to watch that too. Like, yes. Yeah. No, that was, that, was, that was terrific. But again, I like in the context of this story, I like the ambiguity that it plays mm -hmm. with as far as what Superman knows, what Batman knows, you know, that, and I, I do give the story credit for the, the layers here because it probably would have been enough that the league had this vote and did what they did to Dr. Light. And, yeah. and again, that he wasn't the only one that they did this to. Uh, 
I mean, I guess on that front, I, we know now from these subsequent stories, like the secret of Barry Allen with the top, with the mm-hmm. Catwoman story, in the context of identity crisis itself, it's clear that they erased memories of other villains, yes. secret society of villains in particular. We see that and you get the sense there was more. Did you get the sense that they had lobotomized that many more in the context, like from what identity crisis I couldn't, gave us? I didn't feel that. I think it was clear they just erased knowledge. Yeah. I never got the let's change the person, especially in, in crisis of conscience when you see those society members come back. They haven't been changed. They just didn't remember things. Oh, but no, but I think that's the other. I think that's the other angle here, which is, and I feel like this is they a were product, pissed just that they lost knowledge. No, but I, th- I so I think this is a product of of crisis of conscience or, or subsequent stories generally that even when Zatanna only erased memories, inadvertently it's kind yeah. of like messed them up a little bit. Right. Yeah, you know so. Again, other stories ran with a lot of these ideas. I do think, and now having just reread Identity Crisis, I do think the implication was they had erased memories before yeah. numerous times, <laughs> seen and unseen. Yeah. But as far as altering personalities, it really seemed like Dr. Light was, at, that was kind of like the breaking point for them. Yeah. But again, now these other stories have kind of well, it's opened still, up these other avenues of yeah, other things they did. It's a weird violation too. Like imagine, think about how certain memories link to other things in your life. Like- you can't just erase a person without creating gaps. Like if if I was erased from your memory, different conversations or people you knew or talked to about it would it'd be, it'd be odd. And you'd almost have like a like a blurred vision. Like there'd be like a weird spot. Like you ever get like a floater? There'd be this weird memory floater. Like, but why is there something missing? And I think that's why they're so pissed. It's like, what else am I missing that you took? Yeah. No, but again, like I like I like this position it puts them in because it really does beg the question. I think it is a fascinating yeah. thought exercise from our perspective as fans thinking right. about these characters because yeah, if you're in a situation where a villain has discovered your identity or perpetrated an even worse violation like Dr. Light does and is threatening to do it again, it's like what are your choices, right? Yeah. Cuz you can't can't just lock them up. The secret will be out. No. Right? Uh you could again kill them, but then that's again what's worse as far as <laughs> altering yeah. minds versus versus taking the life. Phantom Zone. I mean, that's no picnic. So, <laughs> so I again, and they I, cover all of that. Yeah, they talk yeah. about it. Like, what do we do? Yeah. So I think what they ultimately, and I think that's the thing. Uh, and it's in one of these stories. I feel like it might be Crisis of Conscience, whereas Atana says, "If push comes to shove, I think I would do the same thing again." Yeah, and that's why she. That's why she walks away. She's worried about that. She goes, "I can't promise that I won't do it again." Yeah. So she just, she kind of pulls an atom and just boop, like I'm out. I'll take care of these things, but then I gotta. It's it's funny because you almost want, like. I don't want to say it's. I guess my perspective of it is it's like, well, of course. What else are you going to do? Because right. in crisis of conscience, when they've apprehended the secret society, and then they they call another vote, right? Yeah. And does Superman outright say no? Well, he. He, I think, starts to, and that's when Zatanna jumps yeah. in. She goes, listen, I don't care, because he was about to yeah. say his vote. And she goes, it doesn't matter who or what you decide. I'm not going to do it. And she just dips. Yeah. Which, again, I, and this is another instance, and I recognize that I do this, where I transpose my morality onto right. Clark. Yeah. Because I, I'm reading this, and it's like, they know who your wife is. Of yeah. course you have to erase their memory. How is this even a question? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like make it, make it go away. Yeah. I mean, it can't, but I guess that's uh, these paragons of virtue. It's like this idea. Uh, well, yeah. we, 
I don't know. We've 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 chosen this, and I, this is a consequence. We have to live with it. So, so let's go back just a little bit because this is the curiosity of, uh, that I wanted to ask you. We're talking about how do we fix? Like ultimately, we're we're talking about how do we fix a story? How do we make this work? All right. So if if we don't have Doctor Light rape Sue. What what do they like? What is the thing that happens that creates the mind wipe? I, yeah, I get what you're saying because there's like, is it a death? Do they just outright? See what I'm saying? Like, is it a is it a is it a miscarriage? Or is it something? Who knows? Because it, it's it's not a good plot device. It's just how it's the focus. Well, that's the thing, right? Because there's this. In learning about what's gone on behind the scenes for all those years, there's this escalation, mm-hmm. right? And so a villain learning the hero's secret identity has been enough to warrant a mind wipe, right? In the context of this story, it's like, well, something more has to happen for right. us to go beyond merely erasing a few minutes or erasing a name. Like we're now going to, quote unquote, clean him up, change his personality. So what what would justify that beyond just he found right. out their identity? Well, and I wonder too. I can't, kind of Brad, Brad Meltzer, like like you're listening, like he's not worried about my opinion. But it's I wonder if they revealed that too soon. Like, is that they reveal it in in issue, issue two. two? I know. So I wonder if it was like if it maybe it happened a second time, like a second time. So the first time was he gets on there and he like grabs her and they stop him. But then he promises, I'm going to find her again. And then he does find her again. And we learn about that in issue five. Yeah. Because then it's going, whoa. Because I think we learned, A, too soon. B, too big. C, like, uh, mind wipe. Like, it, it needed to have some some depth to it. Because I think that's the issue I have, where we used it. For shock value. It's shock value. And it's shock value quickly at the beginning and it makes it feel like that's what the story is about instead of no this is a history of madness and really sexual violence and like that you could insert anything like that and if you had i think if if it quote unquote has to be there but it's done more in that way and you can actually explore sue's reaction to yes. like any of this yes yeah i think then it's be like you're pal- seeing yeah. you're seeing flashbacks to that a little bit more. And again, I just think it could have been done in a way where it wasn't such a focus plot device, but it was a, a, a along the path that led to the mind wipe. The mind wipe and the identity knowledge is the issue. It's the identity crisis. That's the issue. Not the why do they have to do it. Right. It's fascinating too. So you were on not too long ago. We did our Mark Wade double feature. You and I talked about World's Finest, but then the second half of that we talked about Wade's JLA run. Yeah. And I brought up something there that I want to circle back to now, which was in that in Wade's run, there's a, there's a whole plot point about how the league, you know, the, another point of distrust among them because of Batman's tower, tower battle Babel. plans, right? Yeah. But the way they come back together is they reveal their secret identities to each other. It's a huge deal. So it's great. It's yeah. a huge deal. Yeah. I always bumped up against this, an identity crisis. It, 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 I think it has to be this way for the story to work and for for Melcher to create this community that yeah. I do respond to in the story. But the, the continuity nerd in me is like, wait a minute, 
not all that long ago, it was such a huge deal for the big seven and Plastic Man to yeah. <laughs> reveal their identities right. to each other. And now everyone and their wife knows everyone's secret identity in the DC universe. Yeah. I, so again, I, I, it just, I don't think that lines up, but it's fine. It works for this. Well, and you story. understand like, there's the understanding that you tell everything to your wife. That's, that's the philosophy yeah. that you don't keep secrets from each other for each other's safety, for, for the idea of trust to truly have a good connection and partnership. You trust each other. You tell her that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah. But that's putting a lot, that knowledge is heavy. Because God forbid she gets take, like, you know, we, we can go down a lot of storylines with that knowledge. What's uh, the other thing that's fascinating about the story is that, again, identity crisis and sort of, I think it definitely highlights the importance of the secret identity. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we've talked about this here and there about how we've seen this trend in recent years. The Marvel movies are a major example of this. The Bendis era of Superman, right. where Clark reveals his identity. I'm glad, thankfully, that's been that's reckoned. That's yeah. been put back in the bottle there. <laughs> but I think, yeah, there's a lot to be said for why a superhero would would need that. Yeah. And I think this story definitely showcases that. So I like that aspect. But what's funny is that it ends up being someone from within, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's not a villain again. Yeah, and it's like this community that they fostered where. You know, at at the end of the story, and it is a, a very beautiful scene where Ralph is talking to Sue, even though she's not there. And, yeah. But there's a whole thing about how like Lois is a bad cook, and just this idea that like in the DC universe, right? They socialize, they have these dinners, and it's like right. it's it's known that like Lois yeah. can't cook, but they won't say anything because it's Superman. Uh, but it's like that that camaraderie, that sense of community, that letting their guard down, just within within their quote unquote walls. Yeah. That proves to be their undoing because it's not one of these villains that had mind wiped. It was Gene Loring. Well, and what an interesting plot line it could have been is one of their own is selling the information to the calculator. Yeah. Or or Sue is the ultimate tipping point before is she's kidnapped by Dr. Light and other villains. Like, tell us what you know. We know that you're, we know who you're with. Tell us who you are. Like, tell us who Superman is and that kind of stuff. But it just... Again, I, I think I think there's a lot of quality scenes. Um, do you want to talk about the Deathstroke fight? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do we I, to take a break? Or are we okay? No, no, we're good. I, I just want to say that when you mentioned the calculator, that's again when we talk about this feeling like a very lived-in world. Mm-hmm. The idea that it's not just the heroes, right? The villains yeah. get together, the villains fraternize, the villains share information. There's the villain equivalent of Oracle, i.e., the calculator. Yeah. And when we get the backstory here, it's this notion that, you know, Black Canary was in the middle of a fight and they yeah. overheard her talking to someone in yeah. Oracle and realized, oh, there's this information broker. Yes, they know things. And yeah. we can do the same thing too. Again, it's such a great touch. And and again, just feels like- The lounge they yeah. hang out in together, like, like where you see them. This is what would happen. Yeah. This is what would happen. Yeah. So I like that a lot. And, and even things like- Again, Captain Boomerang, he's a joke, even within the ranks yeah. of the villain community. It's like, oh, that guy. Well, and what did we, we don't really learn what he did. That Because remember, there's, yeah. the, there's the, like, did, no, nobody's hiring you anymore. Or like, they, we never find out why he's shunned. We also never find out who Owen's mom is. It's Melanie Thawne. So this but, comes up in the, in Jeff John's final 
Flash storyline. Oh, so with then Wally. I, so you wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that if I read this. No, so like he's bounced through time and he ends up in the future and he encounters a thon, and that's okay. that's kind of the. I, I I don't know all of the specifics, yeah. but I know at least that much. But yeah, as far as what, because you're right, calculator does have that bit where he says to to Captain Boomerang, like after what you did. Exactly, we never learned that. And when Gene Loring is recounting, or or when the heroes are talking right. about what she said that's happened why to her when she, she was allegedly, chose, yeah. And when you know we the audience see the quote unquote memory of the person behind the door waiting for it, it clearly could be him. So you know some good misdirect there where yeah. it seems, and you get the story does lull you into that. I mean, you know, some issues left. It's not going to be the end of it. But right. it, it does lull you into that false sense of security where it's like, okay, like it seems like. Captain Boomerang was the one, and now yeah. he and, and Drake have, have killed each other. Uh, but of course, Gene was the one who had, had set that up and, and everything. But yeah, the Deathstroke fight. Go for it. Oh, okay. So I just love, where is it? Man. So first of all, let's let's go to the end of it with how, how Ollie, first of all, Ollie describes hero by hero, how Deathstroke has already figured out how to stop all of them and how ultimately he saves Kyle for last because he has to figure out, he like tests, what if I break your fingers and I try to ultimately fool the ring into thinking that my hand is your hand? And it's it's hard. It's out of control. Like what? how he takes down every one of them so quick and he somehow can see Wally coming at him too. Like, how, were, how, were you, like, just losing? I, I'm reading it, like, I was like, oh, my God, it's amazing. I wanted, I wanted to see it in live action. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, the way that he had he had these contingencies for all of them, yeah. I thought was great. I mean, beginning with Wally, the, the notion that he has these bombs planted and he knows that will divert him yep. to a certain point, and that's right how he gets him. Yeah. yeah. No, that was cool. I, not, not to nitpick. It's a very, no, cool, it's okay. it's a very yeah. cool scene. But it's just like... <laughs> You don't guys don't have to wait. I know he's fast. Go all but five. It's like, you go. Yeah, go all at once. Why is this one <laughs> one at a time? It's the same. It, but drives me nuts all the time too with with Superman and and especially uh, not just Superman, but a lot of yeah. the superheroes in, in live action shows in particular. Like on the Flash show, drove me nuts for years. Super speed. Go. Yo, super speed. Why do you run up to the scene and stop and wait to get hit or and to see what's like, happening? You can see it in super speed. Get him. Nail yeah. him now. I know that always drove me nuts, again, but it's fine. I know we can go. It on. adds drama, Anthony. I know that's my only, I, you know, and that's and that's fine. That doesn't take me out of it. That it's a it's a very cool scene, and it definitely shows how formidable yeah. he he is. And the is. arrow in the eye socket. That's the thing. Yeah. Like and like, at least Ali was cool and didn't do it in his good eye. Yeah, like he's like right in his like dead eye socket, and and the way Rags draws like just the freaking anger on on uh, Slade's face. It's just out of control. Look, the art generally, he captured Ugh. the humanity of, of all Everybody. the proceedings. And it's like, I don't have much to say that hasn't already been said, but the yeah. scene of Ralph oh, literally his, incapable of holding his form like together. He's falling apart into his hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And then contrast that with the with the rage that Ralph shows when he's like, find me Dr. Light. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, the, the, the art was gorgeous here. Really, again, I think just that the, the humanity that it was able to depict on the page, you really, it really helped sell this kind of story where you are being asked to buy into these characters as people and not yeah. just as these larger than life archetypes, but, but as actual people who, who live and interact in this DC universe world. So yeah, he was, a, I've always enjoyed his work, but yeah, he really, really knocked it out of the park on this. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think there's anything else that like stood well, out. I mean, as far as the Batman, the Batman mind wipe of it all, yeah. again, we find out late in the story that uh, Batman had interrupted them as they were altering Dr. Light's mind. And again, as Ollie says, this time it was unanimous. They all vote for Zatanna to remove those 10 minutes from his memory. And again, to my knowledge in subsequent stories, I don't know that we ever, I'm going to be rereading all Mac project for our next episode. So oh, I'll, cool. I'll know then, but I don't know that we're ever shown a moment where he explains how or when or why he remembers. He this. Learns, but it's like, yeah. it's Batman. So I think we can very easily fill in the gaps. Like if that guy were missing 10 minutes, he would probably recognize it. Right. Cause again, there's going to be a dead spot. Yeah. I mean, I get, I don't know, just, I guess from the, you know, it's one thing to talk about how we should treat these, how the hero should treat these villains. Mm -hmm. But in the context of Batman, I guess, how do you feel about what the league decided in that moment? <laughs> I don't fault them because you also know how he dealt with Tower of Babel. True. Like, he's not exactly the pinnacle of trust when it comes to them. He held all that information. Like, just if. Like, that's not okay. Like, yeah, we everybody understands the rationale, but they had a good reason to not trust Batman. So for him to kind of cry, like, how dare you? They're like, dude, you just did this to all of us. So I, I don't know. I I don't know if he's I don't know if he's warranted in the way he reacts, but maybe he's pissed because he sees the hypocrisy. Well, okay, but here's how I think maybe we can tie all of this together yeah. and reconcile it. This all happened in the past, right? Tower of Babel oh, is far true. more recent. Recent. So oh, yeah, I guess I'm not looking at that correctly. It's so I think I mean, yeah, in terms of when we're learning the information. We're learning it, yeah. We're learning it after For Tower him, of Babel. He's now seen you did this to me in the past. This is why I did this to you in the future, maybe. I think that might be it, it's funny because again, we'll be revisiting OMAC Project next week in our countdown to Infinite Crisis right. episode. And I have not reread it as of this recording, but you know, we do find he created this OMAC project to spy on everyone out of this paranoia. Right. And so when when did he find out? Maybe that helps us. Yeah. When did he find out? And maybe did that help? I feel maybe like, did that push him into creating files on everybody? I mean, I feel like he probably always I feel like it wasn't long after the events that he yeah. knew. And again, I feel like it probably manifested initially with those files, how how I would take out the Justice League. And that, yeah. of course, leads to Tower of Babel. And then I feel like there's this escalation and eventually it leads to Brother Eye and, and all right. that business. But yeah, I mean, as far as them doing that to him, yeah, again, like it's easy to look at what, what he's done since. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, of course he doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> but in that context, but I don't know. It's like, it would have, as he says in Crisis of Conscience, like I would have stopped you. Mm -hmm. And what would that have looked like? What would that have right. meant for the Justice League? Would there right. have been a Justice League? And well, and they they talk about that. Who's and, and who's left? Yeah. As people are now walking away at the end of this story arc in JLA, like, don't forget Batman at the very beginning of the Morrison Porter runs, like it took a lot to convince him to be part of the league in the first place. Like he didn't want to be sharing. He didn't want to be on a like he's like, I work alone. I don't if you want me, I'll be here, but I don't need to be part of this league. And then he he caves and does. So, but now he's going, uh, like, no, I'm out. We're done. Yeah. And they all do, except for, I think, John and who's left because they're looking at the new recruits. Yeah, I mean, it's Martian Manhunter, John Stewart, Superman, and yeah. I don't know, one other, but it's, yeah. a, it's very, very, uh, <laughs> very thin ranks at yeah. that point. <laughs> yeah. I, but again, I think this is, it's a valid... 
you get both sides of the debate yeah. with both with respect to both the villains and to Batman with the Superman of it all. It doesn't seem like Superman ever knew what they did to Batman. Oh, it doesn't seem that way because yeah. because Superman even says in Crisis of Conscience, like Batman told me what you did to him. Yeah. So I feel like we're getting he knew into about the first one. Yeah. I feel like we're getting into friends territory here of like, he doesn't know they know we know it's, like, <laughs> it's like a little, a little bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> but but then it's like, how could he not know? Right. Or, you know. <laughs> well, and and how he reacts is interesting because Clark and Bruce, of, the, of all of them, are probably the tightest. And they have the longest history. And they have had to trust each other for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Super, Superman would probably take it the hardest. if they, if like, Why'd you do this to him? You knew he probably would have told you the right answer because he always has the right answer. But yeah, that's identity crisis. There, there was a... Uh, one moment that I just loved that's not really related to the mystery or anything, mm-hmm. but it was uh, from, from the moment I read it to now when Ollie summons Hal, who's now oh, the specter. Oh, so nice. That whole scene. It's great. Because, look, and I've gone on record and I will remain on record. Yeah. I liked, I didn't have the attachment to Hal Jordan as Green Lantern. I only knew his downfall and yes. then redemption. And I thought it was a really interesting It's a well arc. done arc. And yeah. I liked him as the specter. Yeah. And when you get scenes like this with him and Ollie or with him and Wally in the Flashbook, and he's the one who result who restores Wally's secret idea, which, you know, and the the, the John's Flashbook dealt with this too, where yeah. we just had all this business where Spectre erased the world's knowledge that Wally yeah. West is the Flash. So, you know, that's the other thing. It's like multiple heroes have engaged in this mind wiping right. in some way, shape or form, but in any event... Uh, but yeah, the scene with, with Hal, where it, I loved it because A, it, it made total sense that Ollie would ask for help. He's like, don't you yeah. know who did this? And he's like, you know, I, you know, I can't tell I you. can't, yeah. But that last page when he's like, so Hal, when, when are you coming back? Yeah. He's like, I don't know what you mean. He goes, you know, you know, when are you really coming back? And then. I'm working on it. Oh. And then, yeah. Yeah. It was guy. And you know moment. he's coming back now. Like when you look at now what we know. Yeah. But at the, you know, it's funny is at the time. There was no, they there's hadn't no announced plans. rebirth. Yeah, no. no. There's no plans yet. Yeah, that was cool. I remember. And, but clearly Johns must have known. Like he's yes. like, hmm. Like, yeah, I think they were, I'm sure that was, they were on the road to that. But it was just this cool thing because, and I think this, this speaks to how cool that moment was because even not having that attachment to the character, yeah. when he says that, it's like, oh, all right, like here we go. Yeah. You know. And it's always, it's just sweet. I think that's how I would categorize it. It's a sweet friendship moment. Yeah, when they get the talk. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Even the just in that opening issue, you have the Lex Luthor, the green battle suit being sold on the black market. Yeah. There's so much stuff where it really does feel like this love letter to the DC universe. Yeah. It feels like this is coming from someone who and it and it is, right? He grew up with these characters yeah. and has probably thought about a lot of these things or asked these questions and now has the opportunity to yeah. explore them. And so again, in that aspect, there's there's some great material here. And some really interesting misdirects. Like where you're like, why is that there? Wait, what does this mean? Wait, this person is back. Who's this person? Like, it's just, it was, the, I think that they did a good job of bringing some characters kind of out of the woodwork that we don't usually get to talk about, which was cool. And you see, like you said, the behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, again, I guess the last question, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, just as far as the tone that this set for the years to come, I mean, A, it you- did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I guess, how do you feel about that tone? Are you did did you enjoy it at the time? Do you feel like, hey, maybe they took it too far? And I guess either way, how much responsibility uh, is it is fair to put on identity crisis? Because ultimately, 
what happens after it is is up to other people, right? I mean, I don't know if we could blame identity crisis solely, but I mean, a lot of what's happening at this time frame in DC is shifting again with Maxwell Lord. With all of that, we're shifting into an era where death is going to happen very differently than the death of Superman in 1993. Like it's. It's not a big creature. No, humanity kills somebody or uh, heroes' flaws kill people, those kind of things. Um, it did set the tone for, again, like Flashpoint coming and all these hard stories. Like, oh, I didn't expect to see that character do that. So I wouldn't blame Identity Crisis, but it was definitely part of an era that I think, I think we still see it today. I think we're still seeing those consequences coming from this. I don't know if, again, like I said, at the very beginning, would I suggest this spell, like put it in my daughter's lap right now? No. But I think if she said like, what run should I read? Like what was a really cool time in DC shift of tone? I'd say, yeah, you probably start with this era and you'll understand more about what we might be seeing coming soon in movies. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think, yeah, I, I... Clearly, especially what we've now learned about the conception of this event. Right. It's like they were headed in this direction and this was the tone they wanted. No matter what. This was how it manifested at the beginning. Yeah. But I, I don't like we how they approached anyway. it at all. Especially if there's truth to that. I don't like how quippy yeah. they use that topic. But I don't I think they were going to change that direction no matter how they did it. If even if they just flat out murdered sue without without even including the rape i think they needed to figure out how do they include the mind wipe identity vibe look uh, you know contrary to what Meltzer said I, I i genuinely believe if the story were to be approached now i i do think we would see it unfold differently in a variety of ways yeah. i mean number one with the exception of the assistant editor who we've quoted there, there are no women involved in the production of this story right no. uh and, and again i think that between that and the fact that we're looking 20 years ago and just the attitude that yeah. clearly was was going on behind the scenes that led to this, it's not surprising necessarily that the perspective we get is, is what we see in this yeah. in this story. Uh, on a positive note, what I, one of the other things that I really did like, and this is a theme that builds out of the Archer's Quest as well, this notion that after Superman died, the DC universe got their act together, got organized, right? Because right. there's that whole bit in the Archer's Quest where- he had enlisted the shade, right, yeah. to, to you know to take care of these items for yep. him, right, that whole thing. And similarly here too, it's like the universe, the, the our cast of characters here, uh, they have their protocols, they have their list of people to notify. Who do they see? It's like a phone tree. Yeah, <laughs> Batman uh, examines the scene, but then Ollie brings in Mister Miracle and yeah. the Metal Man and yep. Ray, and then the next time after Jean's alleged attack, uh, of course, you know, goes straight to the top, goes to Superman. And that's interesting too when Owen shows up at the scene. And even the feds are like, Batman, why is Batman here? And the feds are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And they're like, he's right there. You don't, I don't think you're, I don't think you understand what you're seeing. Yeah. It's like, they're even saying like, no, there's a way this is going to get done. Um, there are two things I learned about Brad Meltzer that I didn't know ahead of time that I think is kind of interesting that are related to Superman. So I don't know if you saw the trivia about him a little bit, but like, have you read or know about this Book of Lies book that he wrote? I, I've not read it. I, I know just very, very generally. Yeah. So it's related to like 
somehow it connects the murders of Cain to Mitchell Siegel, the father of Jerry Siegel, which is an odd like thought processes. But then clearly he's also a pretty big Superman fan. Like he actually is the person that helped preserve the Cleveland house. Oh. So like he it said um he ran an auction that raised over a hundred grand to help create the society for Siegel and Schuster and made sure the Cleveland house was taken care of. So it's it's just kind of interesting that like he was clearly a supporter of of the Superman legacy, which was interesting. Yeah. No, I, I look, I guess the last thing I'll say on 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 that side of it is I, I think whatever shortcomings, limitations there are in yeah. the story, and there are I mean, yes, we look at the execution of it, but I, again, I think he again, if if that background is is to be believed, it's like you know he was was tasked with this, yeah. and it's like one way or the other we were going to get I it. Gotta and, do and it. At yeah. least it was in the hands of someone who you know tried to do something with it. But again, uh, you know, I, I still think, and he's dealt with like if you look at his novels, he's dealt with hard, gritty material and topics. So they're probably thinking, well, if somebody's going to do this, let's have this guy do it. If yeah. they had that, which again we don't agree with, but at least they gave it to somebody who could do it. it seems in a in a a more appropriate way. All I know is at this point, after rereading it mm-hmm. and doing reading the tie-ins and reading the background right. stuff and having this conversation, I have I can genuinely say I have the clearest sense of what this work is, right? Both positively and negatively, and I can respect it, yeah, but have disagreements with it too. Yeah, absolutely. So. Audience, I'm curious to know where yeah. you land on this. I hopefully, I again, like I said, I trust the audience that you know they kind of know where where we're coming from and what we're we're trying to do and acknowledging it for what it is. And well, then more than any other episode, I almost am curious when you post this on Facebook. Not that we love like the comment threads, like you know they're you know the the downfall of Facebook is people that just go off the deep end. This would be a valuable place to place thoughts and questions and 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 where where are we on this mark yeah yeah no i i genuinely you know and again i, I trust people to be respectful and yeah. and all that stuff but uh but yeah i mean look one way or the other this is a this is a, a critical piece of dc's publishing history especially this era and in the context of these crisis events because now we're we're heading into infinite crisis territory so uh i thank you very much for doing this homework and for coming over here and having yeah, this conversation man, it was really great. a lot of fun yeah. The material was difficult, but the conversation was a lot of fun. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we hit on just about everything. I'm sure after we finish, we'll be like, oh, I should talk about this. But <laughs> I really think we hit on the most salient points uh, with respect to this. And it's it's certainly a book that's been discussed and written about plenty. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm glad I'm happy with the, the course our conversation took. And I would and I and I would encourage if you have read the book, like I said, I'm not going to put it in the lap of my daughter necessarily like you got to. But I think if you have read it, reread it and see if you're along the same lines that we're looking at stuff. Absolutely. Well, I thank you very much. Very much. Thank you for uh, for joining me for this episode. Yeah. Audience, I always appreciate you tuning in. So this was chapter four. Next time, like I said, we'll be getting into our countdown to Infinite Crisis. And then the episode after that, Infinite Crisis itself. This is... I've enjoyed all of the episodes so far, Crisis on Multiple Earths, on Infinite Earths, and Zero Hour, but this now, from this episode forward to a point, 
this is the sweet spot for me. These are the events yeah. that I was there for and I was reading right. as they were coming out. We'll then get past that point in this event when we get to stuff like metal and, and death metal and yeah. all that stuff. And reading these as adults too. Like these are now books that you're going to be reading as a college into adult. Exactly. So make sure you keep tuning in. We'll be back next week with chapter five. And of course, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network. Home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.